This is Listen Up, Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents. And now, here's your host, Victoria Ray Henderson. Thank you for joining me for Listen Up, Home Buyers. I'm really excited today to talk to some of my fellow members in the National Association of Exclusive Buyer Agents. These ladies have taken time out of a really busy, crazy spring market to share their experience and their wisdom with everyone about how they're helping first time home buyers and how we're all trying to navigate this really difficult uh, spring market of 2021. I'm Victoria Ray Henderson. I'm a broker with the Buyer Brokerage in McLean, Virginia. I have the pleasure of having Charlotte Lemon join me. She is one of a few exclusive buyer agents in the greater Charleston, South Carolina area. She's been practicing exclusive buyer agency for 25 years with the Real Buyers Agent. So welcome, Charlotte. Thank you. You're welcome. Rona, broker owner of Four Buyers Real Estate in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Thank you, Rona, for joining us. Hi. And we have Nicolina Lessig, the broker owner of Exclusive Buyers Real Estate in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, Welcome so much. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Nicolina, I think we'd start with you. Um, you in Minnesota right now, spring of 2021. You know what's happening with your market, and um, how are you helping first-time homebuyers? Yeah, thanks, Victoria. Those are really interesting questions and challenging times for the buyers. Um, we are experiencing, as many of you, multiple offer situations. We have a very low inventory. The buyers are just, the, as soon as the house comes on the market, they jump on it. Uh, the agents, the listing agents wait about two, three days so they can collect as many offers as they can. And even what they've started recently to do is also allow overlap of showings so they can show other buyers that there is a commotion, that everybody wants this house. And uh, it, it basically, the houses are selling 10, 15% above the asking price. And um, right, that's the reality. It takes some time for new buyers to catch up. When they just start to look, it's almost impossible for them to get the house. They will probably miss about four to five houses with an offer that they write until they really understand the market and realize that they really want a specific house they really need to be high on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And more than likely also decline inspections and um, even be willing to cover the difference between appraisal and the offer price, which is something that I don't advise the buyers to do. I don't ever suggest to go that route, but the competition is doing it. So Mm -hmm. that's what we are against. We hear you. Um, Rona um, and, and Charlotte, just jump jump in. Have, obviously, you've been having similar experiences. Yeah, we're both making those faces, aren't we, Charlotte? Do you want to go yeah. first? Do you want to go first? Or should oh, I absolutely. Yes, I completely agree with Nicolina in that not only are there eight to 11 offers already on the table when we can do it, when we can put in our own, but it is so very difficult in our market here in Charleston Yes, we have a lot of buyers and not enough inventory, just like we've been saying in this call and for the last couple of years. But with Condé Nast getting behind the idea that Charleston is the number one place to live in the nation, sometimes, for instance, um, last week we had a house that was listed at 950, 950,000. 
the buyer ended up offering a million, which to your point is overpriced because even at 950, it wasn't priced properly. So the buyer came in and the agent actually stipulated that there were 100 buyers looking at that house for sale. A hundred buyers looking at one house. I mean, it is crazy. And the only thing that I can say is that I really hope the appraisers will start doing a better job of appraising houses properly so that we can bring these prices down. But the frenzy exists and I don't know when it's going to end. Yeah, and I think the biggest part for us as exclusive buyer agents is we, we care about what the buyers are experiencing and therefore they're asking us, when is this going to end? Yeah. And it's sort of, I can be a little facetious and say, I really don't know. This is the first global pandemic I've worked through. <laughs> um, so some of what we're dealing with is the global pandemic. What we're seeing is that people who might have put their house on the market this spring are living in their house and they don't want a hundred buyers going through it and then breathing the air. Makes sense. Makes total so, sense. We don't know when sellers are going to have the confidence to allow the buyers in. Mm -hmm. And that creates a position where people who have houses that are too big for them aren't selling them. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the people who want to move out of the cities into the suburbs, into the bigger houses, can't get in there. And then some of those people who were going from the bigger houses back into the city, and I'm around Boston, so... Not only Boston, but when I say city, I'm also talking about Cambridge and Somerville and Brookline and some of these uh, resi small residential cities right outside of Boston. Compared to when I'm saying suburbs, I'm talking about Wellesley and Newton and places that have you know lawns and parks and right. more suburban areas. Mm -hmm. So we've got this log jam and we had this log jam before we had the pandemic. And the pandemic has just made it worse release. And we're working with them about that. And we're also working with them to say, maybe this is the time to not buy your dream home, but buy something that you can keep as an investment property. Mm -hmm. So buy what will serve you now when you have a baby and you're planning, you have a hypothetical second child. So until your second child and your, and your baby are in school, you could be in something that's rentable and then get ready to get your dream house when things are more normal. Yeah. That's another yeah. alternative. But yeah. we're dealing with a lot of desperation and our job is, is to keep our heads. That it is not the end of the world to, it's not the end of the world to not buy this year. It's not the end of the world to pay 5,000 more than it seems like you should be paying. But it's our job to tell you what, it seems like you should be paying, given right. the competition, given what is sold, given what is under agreement that's about to close. Um, we have that information. We can tell them. And if the asking price started out $50,000 below what it was worth, mm -hmm. if you're paying $75,000 above asking price, you're not paying that much over market value. Mm -hmm. And talking about market value, talking about a sensible purchase is what they're asking for, of us. Right. Right. In the middle of a global pandemic. 
Right. I mean, we in in a in a sense, I I feel like the job is to be sort of a, a almost like a gatekeeper, but a protector, a kind of a buffer for our buyers. The the one of the things that we experience, and I know Rona, you've got this where you live, and and I'm not sure about Minnesota and, and uh, the the vacation area in South Carolina, but what we have is we've got two metropolitan areas, Baltimore and Washington, and in between them, everything has been filled in, and some of it is more um, suburban, and some is country, and then and then. Um, so we have a, and then we all go all the way to the Chesapeake Bay where there's Annapolis and waterfront property and all of that. So we have a huge area to cover. And so when we are looking at market conditions, one area is very different than another. So believe it or not, two months ago, we were able to get a seller subsidy, which for those who aren't familiar with that, that is when the seller contributes to help the buyer pay their closing costs. Um, we were able to get that for a buyer um, in Edgewater, Maryland which is, you know, closer to the bay and wasn't obviously any competition. But my point of bringing this up is when I brought it to the lender, he's like, I'm sorry, what is this? Seller sub, what, what? <laughs> so we did that, right? But then, then you get closer to Washington, D.C., and we're one of 19, just like you guys. You know, we're one of 25. It's, it's insane. And, you know, there are people who are paying all cash over a million dollars, you know, as you, as you mentioned, Charlotte. Right, in Rochester, it's really Mayo Clinic is the biggest employer. And many people think that residents that are coming are driving the market, which in my opinion and from my experience, I think it's usually equal exchange of residents that are coming and those that are leaving. It's mostly people in Rochester. And right now we have lots of renters that were able to save some money. And because of the rates, mortgage rates being very low, they want to buy, they want to become the owners and they want to invest in their own property, but they are entering the market at very um, challenging times, as, as we are all saying. And I, just like Rona, I always just tell them, do you really have to have it right now? Are you, and some of my buyers right now are really on month to month rent, which really gives them flexibility. And gives them a little bit pause not to go really very high on the price when they are writing an offer. And I think they seem to understand what's going on. But like I mentioned in the beginning, they will lose few houses before they will settle on a specific one that they really like and they are willing to be higher than they usually are. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we are building in Rochester, are majority of these um Buildings are for senior citizens, and they are not really uh, condominiums or townhomes. They are really rental places. And um, I just don't know why they are building those in large numbers Mm -hmm. uh, versus condominiums. We only have few downtown condos in Rochester that that were built at the end of 70s, um, maybe 69, one of the buildings. And they do require lots of maintenance. Uh, The association fee is high. But uh, these units right now, they seem to be sitting on the market. I just had buyer for one of the units. We were able to reduce the price a little bit. Yay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but the rest is just really flying off the, off the, off the table. Um, it's really going fast. And, yeah. I'm seeing very similar things in the Boston market. And um, Nicolinas uh, touched on something that's that's sort of important. Not only is the inventory depressed because of the people not being able to sell because of COVID, 
but also the demand is increased for two reasons. The, the low interest rates is really a piece of it. And the other one is we've spent a year in our houses <laughs> struggling against not having a home office, struggling against not having sound privacy, or struggling against not having outdoor space. And people are really good and sick and tired of where they live. And therefore, there's anxiety about getting out of it. Right. And therefore, the places that are not a good place to spend a pandemic are, are somewhat softer. Mm-hmm. And we are getting some deals there. Yeah. You know, condos like- that have no balconies. Mm-hmm. Um, one bedroom apartments, you know, one bedroom condos, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Any place where you can get something bigger with outdoor space for the same price, the things that don't have outdoor space or only have one bedroom or sometimes two bedrooms, mm-hmm. um, are, are somewhat depressed and somewhat softer. It's true. Yeah. And it all makes sense, but it's making the life of a buyer broker hard. And it's hard because it's making the life of all our buyers really hard. Yeah. So let's go around, Charlotte, let's start with you. Um, Have you had any recent strategies that have worked for your buyers and, and, you know, and, 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 and uh, when you describe them, you know, talk to us like you were talking to a first time home buyer, because this is what we're, we're going to hopefully be able to do is educate some buyers who are, who are watching. Well, Nicolina touched on it earlier when she was saying that because there are so many offers on the table, when we put in an offer, we are missing out on those typical things we educate our buyers to get within the contract, a home warranty. Believe it or not, that's no longer offered. And it was pretty much uh, very typical and normal. In our area, we also tend to always get the transfer of the termite warranty in the buyer's name at closing. And now, again, because contracts have to be so clean and so simplified just to get a look, we're removing that as well. Now, we can always pay the transfer fee and get it. And a transfer fee is typically $150 to maybe $300. And a home warranty is probably $700. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, as we educate our clients that are buyers, typically the home warranty, the termite warranty, and sometimes closing costs, which now are almost impossible. But thankfully, I have found a couple of clients this year where we have found the ideal house, whether it was a for sale by owner or in what Rona mentioned is a softer area. And we've been able to get um, not just repair costs to remove thousands from the price, but also a few other items, which has been very helpful. So at the closing table, my client will be paying for the home warranty and the transfer themselves, Mm -hmm. but at least we got a reduction on the price in order to do that. Um, But as far as, I mean, We've all talked about, you know, when is this going to end? My clients, unfortunately, that I have been dealing with currently, I've got a few coming in this month and next that don't need to buy until later in the summer or fall. But for right now, all of my clients need to purchase now. So I am doing a lot of virtual tours and walking through houses with my clients. Um, 
I always stress how much do you want the house because I cannot predict what another buyer is going to offer. I have started um, asking listing agents more about the offers that are on the table so that we can craft our offer better to the seller's expectations. The number one um, expectation of a seller is not having to rush to get out of the house. So knowing exactly what would be an ideal time frame for them seems to be very important. We also offer up a little bit more earnest money. I don't know why that seems to help, but for the mm-hmm. last several years, I've been doing that. Can you touch on what earnest money is just for people listening who don't know? Earnest money, typically in my market, and I have learned it is different in other markets. If you're looking at a $500,000 house that's up to $599, we typically will put down $5,000 in earnest money to be put in escrow. And that pretty much is the reservation, like I like to call it for my clients that are first-time home buyers, that they're going to be buying the house. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have escrow in South Carolina when you put a contract on a house, but it is typical that you do. Now, in the scenario I was just talking about, my clients are putting nine and ten thousand in mm-hmm. escrow. Now, of course, it's all coming back to them. Yes, the listing agent deposits that money, but it's credited to the buyer. So it's not like we're giving them this money. It's so, just more or less simplified a reservation to purchase the home. Okay. But it so seems wanna, to be working. Yeah, I want to make it clear to anybody who who doesn't know what that is, and I think it's in all of our areas, is um, it goes toward your closing costs. Yes. So, so it's kind of I I equate it with uh, the flashy ring that a woman will wear at a party. You know, it gets a lot of attention, but um, you know, no nobody you know is going to get their hands on it. it it's hers. Um, she's going to have that ring when she leaves the party. That that's <laughs> if you you know if that makes sense. Um, in other words, um, you know, just the protection of the earnest money deposit is incredibly important in the whole transaction for sure. Yes. Yeah. And that has also changed in our area in 2021 and that it is, um, it's not required, but it is a better protection for the buyer. As of 2021, I have learned to make sure you hire an attorney and the attorney holds the escrow or the earnest money deposit. And we're wiring things now. So that's an extra protection to make sure that my client hires their own attorney and that attorney provides them with the wiring instructions and holds the escrow. And from what I understand, the purpose for that says our attorneys here in South Carolina who write our offers is that it enables the escrow to be freed up and returned to the buyer with more haste and less strings attached mm-hmm. than if it were held by the listing agents agency. Yeah. So Rona, let's hear yeah. what you have to say. Yeah, well, a couple of things. One is in our market, in the Boston market, the earnest money, There's we have two contracts. So the first contract is an offer, which is contingent on the home inspection. And then the purchase and sales agreement is the longer agreement with the quality of the title and lots of legal things in it. Interesting. Um, and that's usually 5% of the purchase price. And the money does not go to closing costs. It goes to the purchase purchase funds. Oh, interesting. In our market. So it's slightly different. So I, wanna, I wanted to mention that, of course, we're Massachusetts. We do things differently. <laughs> um, it's just how it is. But some of the other things that are, have really been working that cost the buyer nothing that I wanted to make sure we got in because our time is short here is, um, first of all, the, the, the philosophy of negotiation starts with hello is really important. 
mm-hmm. teaching. I, we talk to our buyers about as soon as you walk in the door, if the listing, if, if there's a listing agent there, you're on stage. You want to show that you are likable, agreeable, um, sensible, easygoing, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. If you have questions, don't appear anxious about them or just give them all to me and let me call later. Mm-hmm. And that opens the door to these are the best buyers in the world. So what I say is the sellers clean the house. They put flowers on the table. They open up all the windows. They change the curtains and they pack, they stage the house. I'm staging you. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> And so you're staging by how, what their demeanor is when they're around the listing agent, how the offer looks. We have a reputation for getting all the pieces of all the things the seller wants to see mm-hmm. to check off for their manager, their managers in their offices. Mm-hmm. So if they have a seller's description of property, it goes with the offer mm-hmm. that it's already signed and taken care of. Hmm. Um, we've had lenders who have called the listing agent. Mm-hmm. And said, my my borrower, Jan and Bill Smithers, mm-hmm. I just made up that name, um, <laughs> um, are putting in an offer for 123 Jones Street. And um, I wanted to let you know, I have already pre-approved them. I have already run this past the underwriter in my office. There is nothing that's going to go wrong with this. Right. And that has gotten us offers accepted when the two offers sitting there are the same or very close to the same Mm -hmm. because the agents in the area know us and they know we bring a better buyer. Mm -hmm. If it's, if it's toe to toe, we're winning. That's great. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't cost your clients a penny. Right. And it is, it's so important. Large part of it is your reputation as an exclusive buyer's agent. And one of the things that we all, I know we do, uh, I am always working on that relationship with the listing agent, never compromising the buyer as I'm doing that, of course, as we all would never do, but making sure I ask questions like, um, so what is it that they, your sellers need? Would they ha- possibly need a rent back? I had one agent not put that in the detail of the uh, uh, of the description in the multiple listing service. And then she kind of said, well, you know, they do. They would need a rent back. So, of course, we added that into our contract. Of course, that made us ahead of everyone else just by having that communication. Nicolina, what would you like to add? Yeah, it's kind of interesting listening to Rona because our buyers never meet sellers. They never meet the listing agent. We have lockboxes. We have private time, unless, like I mentioned in the beginning, they allow overlap of showings, then the only people we meet are other buyers competition. Yeah. Um, but in, in reality, we usually do give earnest money and uh, usually about 1% of the purchase price. Um, it's just, uh, just saying we are really interested in your home. However, if the buyers decide to cancel purchase agreement at any point past the inspection contingency, they will more than likely lose this money, regardless who holds it, either title company or the listing agent. Wait, could you say that that one more time? Yes. So in regards to earnest money, if the buyers, for any reason, decide to cancel purchase agreement after the inspection contingency time, they will more than likely lose it. 
Wow. And I explain this to the buyers upfront. So they know what they are facing in case that there is a situation that they need to cancel the agreement, they will forego the, the earnest money. Okay. So they are aware of that. And it, it really depends. I think each situation with the buyer is a story on its own. It really depends how we approach based on how much experience they had in the past, especially in this market right now. So my communication with them is really um, very straightforward. I look for anything and everything I can find in a house that it's could go wrong, doesn't look right. Because if they do decide to go for a house and decline inspection, at least we notice these things that could be a problem in the future for them. Mm-hmm. And then based on the, on the pricing, the comparable sales in the area, we decide what seems. And I always tell my buyers, just go with your gut feeling. Mm-hmm. We can control other buyers, how much this house means to you. That's what you need to, that's what your goal is supposed to be. Because we can compete with everybody else. You are just your own competition. Think what it means to you and how high you are willing to. And it's, again, based on the experience we've had so far. Right. That's why I said they will probably lose four or five houses mm-hmm. in this market before we will get one. But we are we are there. We are getting some and we are finding our way in this market too. So I want to really um, lift buyers up. I always try to encourage them. I always just tell them, there is a house waiting for you. We just need to find it. Absolutely. Just be patient. Just be patient and it's, it's going to happen. So. Yeah. Something that I wanted to mention because um, I haven't heard any of you mention this. We do something called the pre-contract home inspection. Does anyone do that? Yeah, I thought yeah, we do that. Right yeah, we just don't have time. It's yeah, our, our business model, um, our contract with our buyers say you have to have a home inspection. Yeah. We do because that. we just know the home inspectors know more than we do. Yeah, um, sure. And the pre we're able to do pre-contract um, home inspections. We we don't do them that much because it you know you're you're spending money on a property that you don't have any uh, leverage to have <clears> yet. <throat> So it, it's it's tough, but it we've we've done a few. We're about 50-50 with getting the offer accepted. It makes afterwards. it it makes it uh, more competitive because mm-hmm. then the seller doesn't have to worry about you as the buyer coming back and negotiating any repairs. Right. Um, we've actually we're doing our fourth one today this week, mm-hmm. um, and 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 we have had it uh, work for us because we we want our buyers to be informed about the house. We want them to know what's wrong, and we also want to make sure that they understand what they're getting into. One of our pre-contract home inspections, our our home inspector went on into the crawl space. This is not a small man. I don't know how he got in there. I was kind of in there after him, you know, taking video, and he's crawling around in there. And when he came out, we both were like. We're not, we're not moving ahead. That crawl space, I told him I was going to write a blog called the scary, the, what did I, what did I, the, the demons in the crawl space, or I can't remember now what I said, but it, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, yeah, we're not going to say that you should move ahead with this. It buried oil tank, um, abandoned electrical wiring thing that had been recalled. I mean, it was just dead mouse, not that that matter, but I mean, it was just like one bad thing after another. And I was like, oi, we got to get out of here, you know? <laughs> Does anyone have anything you'd like to share here, Nicolina? If I mention something, jump in. Um, some of these uh, agents allow only 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. the house so there is no way they would allow us to bring an inspector i mean unless you know somebody or 
who is willing just to walk through with you and maybe can point to things that you are not seeing. But other than that, it's just almost impossible in this market to do. And plus, the buyers wouldn't be willing to pay 350 for the any kinds of inspection beforehand if they are not sure that they are getting it. That's why it's usually done after the contract is signed. And many times right now, buyers are declining it just in order to have a higher chance of getting a house. Sure. Yeah, and I, I think all our markets are different mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. I, I have a question I would love to hear y'all's comments regarding because only once in all these years in real estate did this happen. And it was that my buyers wanted to write a letter to the seller. And the only time this has happened until this year was probably 15 or 18 years ago. And it was a client who had a handicapped child that was moving into a home where there was a handicapped child. So it just was perfect. And my clients were very eager to write the letter to let them know how perfect their house was for them for that reason for their child. And yes, we ended up getting that house. But this year, to my shock, I have had clients coming out of Chicago and Colorado who wanted to write letters. And I have been reading articles that it's not a good idea, but both of those clients, we were able to get the house. And I don't know if it was more to do with the letters or that we did our homework ahead of time and we knew what we were getting into. Um, I don't know, but is that something that y'all do in your markets? Rona, you want to start? I have been using those letters since I started as an EBA, which is almost 30 years ago. Really? And they are effective when they're effective, and they're a neutral when they're not. Okay. And what's important about it is that it's pretty easy to violate fair housing rules. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming a thing for the listing agents. So the, the agents that are representing the sellers are afraid of being accused of discriminating. Right. If the buyer says they're uh, specifically not in a protected class. So, you know, back to the Smithers that I made up before. I'm Jill and Bert Smithers. We're white Christian (gasps) heterosexual people with two children. Now they don't say that, but if they have a picture of a man and a woman and two children and a dog, they have basically said that if those people are white. That's right. <sighs> you know, and we want this place because it's around the corner from our church, <laughs> you know, and you can't do that. Mm-mm. And if you avoid doing that, they're very effective. And what and what you want to do with those letters is answer the questions that the sellers really want to know. Mm-hmm. You're good, decent people who pay your bills. You're pre-approved. You want to be a member of the community and you appreciate the house they're selling. That's right. Very good points. Yeah. Absolutely good points. Nicolina? Yeah, I recently also had two buyers that wanted. I mentioned these letters to them, but those two buyers really came on their own with the letters. And my uh, basically challenge with these letters is the fact that I don't know if these agents present them to the sellers because they want to keep emotions out of the transaction mm-hmm. and they might present them after the fact but i think they are looking for the bottom 
dollar amount what they are getting for the house, um, what seems to be best deal for the seller, and they don't want to get emotions involved. And that's why I don't. We didn't get those two houses with my buyers. And um, it seems like even though when I read the letters, I told them I would sell them my own house. <laughs> that's how nice they were. But that's yeah, that's the fact. I I told them I don't know if these letters are going to end in the hands of the sellers. Mm -hmm. So and. I actually went to a, that's why I raised my hand a second ago. I went to a, a webinar with um, counsel from NAR recently. And whenever you go to something with NAR, we all know this, but the buyers listening to us don't, um, that when you go to a training with the National Association of Realtors, they're talking to listing agents and we don't count. That's right. So they're talking to the listing agents and they're saying, listing agents, it is against the law for you to take that letter and not give it to your seller. True. And if you don't want to give it to your seller, you have to have a written statement from your seller saying that they do not want to see personal information about the buyers and they want to pay attention to the dollars and cents. Ah. So yeah. that's, that's what NAR is telling the listing agent. So we'll see how it plays out whether listing agents are going to listen and how that will play out over the next couple of years. Thank you for bringing that up because that is that this whole thing about the letters encompasses mm -hmm. uh, something very, very important. And that is that the issue of fair housing. Um, some one thing that you, that we've won on is telling people that you'll continue, you know, filling their bird feeders and taking care yeah. of their garden. Yeah. I, think, I think we won on that. If somebody told me they they were going to continue to feed the squirrels and the birds, because uh, I do that every day. I do we won. We won on one that that said because they had a map of the garden, like what was planted where. Wow! And we specifically asked for the map. Nice. And that's what got us the place. That's it. So that doesn't violate any fair housing rules. And by the way, April is Fair Housing Month. It should oh, be yeah. up on. It should be up on your websites. It should be part of what you're talking about because. Fair, fair, fair housing is not only the law of the land, but it's excellent business. It is. It truly is. You guys have been great. I, I really, I'm so, so glad you joined me this afternoon. I've been looking forward to it. And uh, just to recap, we've been speaking with Charlotte Lemon. Uh, she's in Charleston, South Carolina. She's been an exclusive buyer agent with the real buyer's agent for 25 years. Rona Fishman, an excellent blogger. I'm a huge fan. Uh, she is the broker owner of Four Buyers Real Estate in Cambridge, Massachusetts, serves the entire Boston area. And then Nicolina Lessick, the broker broker owner of Exclusive Buyers Real Estate LLC in Rochester, Minnesota. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, so much for joining me on Listen Up Home Buyers. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. Lovely, lovely to see you all. You've been listening to Listen Up Home Buyers, the only podcast offering home buying advice and tips from true buyer agents.